You're listening to the Sugar Bookie Radio Race to the White House Edition. Sports books, office pools, and fantasy. No matter how you monetize this crazy world, Sugar Bookie's got you covered. I'm Anthony Carabasi, your host as always. We are days, hours, minutes away from one of the most controversial elections in United States history. And joining me now to go over the current sports book action regarding the 2016 presidential election is senior political analyst Wendell Ballou, a NYU and Yale educated attorney who's been on the beat in D.C. for 40-plus years. Wendell, thanks so much for coming on board, man. Glad to do it again, Anthony. We're getting close. It's getting tight. Clinton is still the presumptive favorite to win this thing by over about a 90% margin in most of the polls that I'm seeing. However, this email scandal was plaguing her in the past. Another round of email problems has come up in the past few weeks. We're seeing Hillary Clinton trading at minus 275, her best odds, in other words, the lowest chance of her winning. In recent memory, Trump only a few weeks ago was as high as 11 to 1. He's now down to almost 2 to 1 at plus 215. Gary Johnson is still somewhat in the picture at 1,000 to 1 odds. First things first, Wendell. It looked like Hillary Clinton has this in the bag. It's still probably going to happen. But tell me a little bit about as far as this most recent FBI probe into her email scandal. How is that affecting her campaign? And do you think her campaign has done a good job reacting to this news so close to the election? Yeah, it's an interesting thing from a lot of perspectives. I mean, I think that the the story uh, did several things. One, it, uh, it energized the base of actually both parties, uh, Trump people thought, my goodness, we might actually have a chance to win this. I mean, true believers never doubt that they will they will lose, but a lot of people were dispirited. You saw that Trump, after the story broke, actually wrote a check for $10 million, and he hadn't been giving much personal money recently. So in his mind, there was a more uh, legitimate chance. On the Democratic side, uh, uh, hardcore Democrats think, oh my goodness, we could actually lose this thing. Trump could be president. So they're motivated uh, too. You know, they're, they're, they're more motivated to, uh, uh, to, to vote instead of just blowing it off because they think she's got it in the bag. Now, most people, most members of the, of the base, and by which I mean people who uh, consistently uh, vote and support uh, a given party, most of them don't blow off an election, but if it looked like she's running a victory lap, that could suppress voter turnout among part of the population. And there's some indication that parts of the Democratic constituency are slightly underperforming. The other thing that the story did is it uh, it uh, changed especially the pace and focus of the Clinton uh, campaign. Uh, Hillary Clinton did not want, they didn't know what, 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 what the story was about for several days, and we still don't know what it's about. So they had to come up with uh, a strategy about how to deal with allegations that were vague and unclear, and they, you know, those sorts of things are hard to respond to. And they did several things that I think were, were effective and intelligent. One is the candidate herself did not address the issue to any great length. Uh, secondly, they got an impressive uh, uh, list of surrogates who came after Comey uh, for the timing and the content of his statement, former attorneys general, members of both parties. So there's pushback on, on, on the, uh, the FBI director's uh, actions. 
they got their campaign together uh, by skillful use of surrogates. And I think, as I said earlier, that uh, the story looked to many Democratic um, activists as kind of dirty pool, and it added an extra dose of motivation. You actually led me right into my next question, which is, if, you know, watching primetime television over the past couple of weeks, I cannot remember seeing a single ad that was for one of these candidates. In other words, saying, this is what this candidate's going to do. This is why you should vote for them. You had mentioned dirty pool. It was actually the exact phrase that I was going to use. Everything seems to be, I mean, th this election seems to be that you're not voting for a particular candidate, but in most instances, voting against the candidate that you find more objectionable. In your political career, have you seen an election get this dirty close to crunch time? I've never seen any election like this ever before. Well, I mean, who has? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's just, it's bizarre uh, in a lot of ways. You know, there have been a lot of campaigns that were hard fought. You saw uh, George Bush's DWI, uh, DUI uh, arrest come up uh, the weekend before the election, I believe. You've had some, you had the Willie Horton ads uh, from uh, George H.W. Bush against Dukakis. So there's been some pretty um, tough, uh, you've had ads that have racial overtones but what's different about this is that um, in the past, uh, the, the, the hard stuff, uh, the negative stuff, doesn't come from the candidate. Candidates have not been the source of negative information. Uh, there have been tough ads that have been put out, uh, but the strategy was to keep the candidate out of the, the direct use of negative information. Um, and this has all changed because uh, Trump is 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 saying all this really over the top stuff himself, and it's not uh, to some extent his ads are a little uh, touchy feely with the ones of them that I've seen, and he has not been uh, on the air uh, substantially, especially to the extent that Clinton the Clinton campaign has been. So that's what's different about it. You're seeing negative stuff come from the candidate. And you're also seeing uh, allegations on the Democratic side that Trump is not uh, qualified to be president uh, temperamentally or, or in other ways. And I don't, this is the first time I recall that issue being made so directly. I mean, you've had um, the Goldwater campaign in 64 probably comes pretty close. Uh, uh, and because he had some uh, uh, extreme positions that that uh, frightened some people, the the Lyndon Johnson uh, nuclear war ad at the end of the campaign, well, was a reaction to that. Was a made use of that. Um, so I, this is uh, sui generis, it seems to me, in terms of negative campaigning. We're going to come back to the general election in a second, but let's focus in for a moment on a few key states. Now, we'll get to Ohio, which has typically been talked about as, you know, where goes Ohio, so goes the nation. But the state that's getting the most attention, at least as far as the coverage I'm seeing in this particular election, is Pennsylvania. In fact, a few weeks ago, Saturday Night Live, not that they're exactly the bastion of all political coverage, obviously leaning quite left. Regardless, they did a really funny campaign where they were talking about actually mainline female voters, mainline a somewhat ritzy suburb of the Philadelphia area 
being the demographic that may decide this whole election. Currently, Pennsylvania has the Democrats at minus 400 to take it, the Republicans at plus 300 or three to one. Clearly, the money's coming in on Hillary to take Pennsylvania. Do you think Trump has a chance to upset? And more importantly, how important is it for Trump to take Pennsylvania for him to have a winning campaign? Well, you know, there are theoretically other paths for him to win the election without Pennsylvania, but then he has to, uh, he has to win, to replace those electoral votes, win other states where he may be uh, behind. And so uh, it it gets harder and harder if, uh, if he can't win Pennsylvania. I mean, I think that their, their campaign plan uh, three weeks ago was really to write off Pennsylvania and focus on other areas because Clinton's position, especially in the uh, Philadelphia area, uh, and especially given the uh, the strong Clinton demographic of uh, college ed- educated, especially women, but also men uh, that are in suburban counties. Uh, so I, I think he's recalibrating a bit. And there's a poll that just came out that I saw that had Clinton up by two points in Pennsylvania. Um, you worry about the, the Democratic uh, establishment worries about turnout in some ways. If I'm not mistaken, I believe that there's no early voting in Pennsylvania. And so it's That's all election based yep. stuff. And so uh, they're going to want to mobilize the electorate. I've heard some data, seen some data that. Uh, uh, based on early voting states, that participation by African-Americans may be somewhat uh, less than it has been in the past two elections. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to directly uh, translate early voting data into projections for election days, especially if you're looking at, at one state and trying to figure out how similar uh, parts of the population in Pennsylvania might behave. So it's I, I don't. I still don't believe that um, that Trump will prevail in Pennsylvania. There have been close polling in previous elections, but it's been decades since uh, Pennsylvania went Republican. Moving a little west here to the state of Michigan, we have very similar odds. The Democrats minus four fifty, so they're heavier favorites in Michigan than they are Pennsylvania. Republicans, or Trump at this point, is plus 325, so a little bit better than three to one. Obviously, heavy spending going on, heavy spending going on advertising in Michigan. Do you think that state is legitimately in play? Most pundits seem to think that's going to sway heavily toward Clinton. Any chance Trump pulls an upset in Michigan? Well, I don't really think he's going to pull an upset in Michigan, but the strategy is it makes sense to me. Because if where where at the last few days of the campaign might you be able to pull an upset and get some votes, and uh, the industrial Midwest is is an area where uh, where uh, Trump and Republicans historically have been competitive, uh, and I think he's Ohio looks uh, pretty. Uh, favorable to Trump. I don't think it's a done deal, but I do think it looks to me as if he's ahead or or at least a strong even in Ohio. And uh, it might make sense. Michigan has got the number of electoral votes. I I am skeptical about Wisconsin, uh, even though there's a Republican governor there, but uh, 
So it might make sense uh, to to target a state like that, uh, especially if you don't have alternatives that are better. You got a little ahead of me in Ohio, where actually right now, Donald Trump is the favorite. He's at almost minus 300, minus 285. Clinton, the underdog, plus 220, or a little bit better than two to one. So sports books, uh, the where the money is going is favoring Trump in Ohio. Do you find that surprising? I find it a bit surprising. And what does that mean in the overall electoral counting for the overall election? Well, I, I think that some of the underlying politics of it is that um, that the base of the two parties is shifting. And Trump's campaign especially uh, is ignored or uh, repudiated uh, longtime Republican uh, policy stances on issues like trade uh, and his appeal to uh, uh, lower income or middle income white voters without a college education. And so, you, you know, electorally, he's looking to states where that uh, would seem to um, fit with his profile. And that's one reason he's, he looked at Pennsylvania, which we've already discussed. Um, I, I, I think you give him Ohio. And if you give him Iowa as well, where he's been competitive, then you still he still falls short, and he would need to pick up Florida, and uh, and uh, and other states. So it's even if he gets Ohio, it's still pretty difficult in the electoral college for him to get to two seventy. It's really got to be a, a very uh, focusing of his political efforts in the last few days, and I think they're doing that. I mean, you're looking at at the uh, appearances that you can tell where the candidates appearing in, in different states fits in with an electoral map that um, that um, could could be successful. Well, you actually beat me to the punch here again because Florida was the next place I was going to go. It's one of the closest races as far as sports books are concerned, which, frankly, money talks. So this is where even money's coming in on both sides. We are seeing Trump is a slight favorite at minus 130. Hillary is even money. Florida seems to be a state that Trump absolutely needs to win to have any chance. First things first, do you think Hillary pulls an upset? Secondly, talk to us about why is Florida so important for the Trump campaign from an overall election standpoint? I think Trump is essential. I mean, Florida is essential for Trump to win uh, because it's really, really, it's a large group of uh, electoral votes. Uh, It's been close in previous elections. Uh, some of the demographics in parts of the state are favorable to Trump, uh, and it's very, very hard for him to put together 270 without Florida part of the equation. Now, why Clinton is also, that, that's the top target state for both candidates in terms of these uh, last uh, few days visits from surrogates and the like. Uh, and I think what Clinton is doing in Florida is she's trying to put the stake in his heart. I mean, she's trying to really make it impossible and also uh, doing it early election night. And the things that she's doing are also indicate resources that she has and Trump does not. One is the surrogates. She's used uh, both Obamas. She's used her husband. She's used uh, Bernie Sanders. There are just lots of Joe Biden. There are lots of figures, uh, major figures that attract big crowds that she's able to use. 
And Trump uses himself and Pence and, and very few other figures uh, are either. I think, I think Trump wants to control what goes on, but I also think there aren't as many options that are credible as there are with a sitting uh, president of the same political party. The other advantage in Florida and elsewhere that, uh, that Clinton has, which would make me in a very close race add a point or more to her side is a really strong ground game. She's got lots of volunteers. They're organized. They get out to vote. Uh, in some instances, they'll hold a political rally near an early voting place and then get people to march or get bused to vote. So, and Trump doesn't have that. Trump says this is obsolete and, um, and, and is not no longer uh, given social media and the like a uh, necessary part of a campaign. We'll find out if that's true or not. Let's take a quick minute to step back from the actual election coming up on, on Tuesday the 8th and from a more macro perspective. Right now, everybody's up in arms. They like one candidate. They hate the other candidate. They can't believe that a criminal might be elected. They can't believe that this misogynistic racist might be elected. There's a lot of mud being slung here. And I'd asked you this question about six months ago uh, when we were in the midst of, of figuring out who certain candidates were going to be, et cetera. But I posed to you this question. Wendell, the president of the United States is one of the most scrutinized positions in the world probably because it's one of the most powerful positions in the world. But does somebody who is elected president with all of the checks and balances that are in place, can they really make that big of a difference? In other words, if Clinton went in there and exercised her agenda, would it really knock things off the rails the way Republicans are claiming it would? And conversely, if Trump were to get in there and begin to do some of the, try to do some of the things he's talked about, whether it's immigration reform, taxes, et cetera. Does this position really have the power that it connotatively does in our sort of political conscience, in the social conscience of this country? Well, I think that's a very good question. And it's, uh, I'll give you a, a, a complex or a answer. It, it has less power than, than is supposed to actually get things accomplished. Uh, you know, you can uh, you make all the policy proposals that that you may, but it's very difficult these days, especially, to make policy changes or to make progress on the international scene because you're dealing with, you know, domestically you're dealing with the Congress and governors and all sorts of other players that limit your power, and internationally you're dealing with other countries that have their own agenda. So the capacity for positive action, even given the best policies and best intentions, are, are limited. And on the other hand, the um, ability to really screw things up is, is if anything, underestimated. And, and you really can. An example is the, uh, the current president of the Philippines has been running off his mouth and insulting people and... Uh, He's having a, a real uh, pushback. His ambassador to uh, China, the former uh, president of the Philippines, resigned after four months in the office and called him an idiot. So if the concern is, uh, I think that concerns about Clinton, um, you know, socializing medicine or whatever, whatever your pet thing is, are uh, not realistic, especially if Republicans 
control one or both houses of Congress. I think that uh, there would be a limitation on what a Clinton presidency could do to change laws. Of course, uh, the Supreme Court is a key issue, and Clinton appointments to the Supreme Court would look different uh, than, uh, than Trump appointments. Uh, so in that respect, that's one fairly discreet area where a president has a lot of power. Uh, but in terms of policy changes, first of all, Clinton is pretty much a centrist. And uh, the fact that uh, she has been uh, endorsed by uh, every uh, major newspaper uh, that I know of, um, and it's because they feel that she would be competent. Uh, on the Trump side, the concern is that he lacks um, uh, focus on some of the issues and that his style would could could result in, uh, in, in policy decisions, not necessarily legislative proposals, but but choices on policy in the executive branch that could be uh, enormously harmful. Um, so I, that's that's how my take on on the power of the presidency. Looking in your crystal ball for a quick second, what would be the best case scenario and the worst case scenario of a Donald Trump presidency? Well, um, the the best case scenario would be if he managed to bring uh, his his base of supporters, who are very uh, uh, disillusioned and skeptical of government, if he could bring that group, and I, I would say that that's a, a substantial portion of the population feels that way, and part yeah. of it's economic, uh, but if he could get them enthusiastic about uh, uh, positive uh, uh, changes in government. Now, the, the, and, and Trump, um, some people criticize this quality, but, but I'll, I'll be neutral on it. Trump has not always held the same positions on given issues over a long period of time. And I think he even acknowledges this. He says he's a deal maker and he can get things accomplished. So I don't necessarily think that you would, um, see a wall built or, uh, uh, trade agreements abrogated, but, uh, because I think he might well change his, his position to accommodate reality or his understanding. Uh, so that would be a positive outcome by, uh, refocusing some of his policy positions and, uh, incorporating some part of a big chunk of the American uh, population that's completely disgusted with uh, with politics and government. On, on the negative side is that he uh, doesn't seem to be able to focus at great length on certain uh, issues. He's doing. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but yeah. he's, he's doing well. Well, he's you're, not. I mean, you're, being, you're being very generous. Yes, yes. We are trying to and, keep this and, neutral. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to laugh. And, and, and so, um, you know, you, you, that's a bad thing if you're president. It's a bad thing. I mean, distracted driving is a bad thing. Well, if you're driving the country, it's a really bad thing. So, 
uh, the possibility for just getting stuff wrong. And also, um, it's very difficult to deal with the Congress, and especially these days. And while he does have some supporters among Republicans on the Hill, many other Republican um, uh, members of Congress and leaders don't agree with a lot of his positions. So uh, I think there would be difficulty um, in that way. And of course, there's international affairs. There's, uh, we've got serious global refugee problem. Uh, we've got uh, that conflict in, uh, in Syria. We've got uh, uh, the Islamic State. There are all sorts of, and, and the Asia, too, has some, has some problems um, caused by changes in China's stance and con regional countries' reaction to that. So, you know, there's all sorts of an opportunity for, for mistakes to be made that would, that would uh, uh, set back uh, the interest of the United States substantially. And you saw, I was interested in the market reaction to the Comey uh, statement on the Clinton emails. The market just dropped like a rock and gold went up. Uh, and so I think that that that's that's uh, an investor's take on um, what the possibilities of a Trump presidency would be. Same question for Hillary Clinton. Give me the give me the top and give me the bottom. What's a best case scenario for President Hillary Clinton, and what's a worst case scenario for having the first female president in the history of the country? The, 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 that's pretty, I'll be pretty straightforward about that because I think it, I can sum up. The best case is that Clinton would use her proven skills at working with other people. I mean, she is that, uh, she's very good at uh, even people that she's not uh, gotten along with. Um, uh, like John, John McCain and she are great buddies. Uh, so if she could reach across uh, political divides in the Congress and perhaps in the broader population, then you could see some issues. There's some low-hanging fruit. Congress has done so little the past few years that there's some things in which there actually is a fair amount of agreement, like uh, criminal reform, uh, uh, immigration reform. I think you'd see Clinton become more of a free trade person. I, I, I have my own kind of technical critiques of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but I think you might see uh, some uh, bipartisan compromises on issues that are of importance. I'm also interested in an issue that she and Trump share, and that's uh, investing in infrastructure. And uh, that's an issue where you, one of the few issues where both the AFL-CIO and the uh, Chamber of Commerce agree on the need to make an investment and with interest rates so low, it would make sense to, to do something. So there are the possibilities of actually making some progress on uh, pressing issues that are not uh, uh, extreme uh, and on which there's potential agreement between Democrats and Republicans in different sectors of the economy. Now, on the negative side is that if, if she's elected president and if, uh, as has been said by some congressional leaders, they don't move on her Supreme Court nominees, they, the, the House, there are people in the House who 
who have threatened to impeach her, which uh, uh, that technically is the first step that's taken in the House. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's unlikely, but they're threatening to impeach the uh, IRS director for just sort of looking at them funny. So if you had that stuff continue, it could get worse. Some Republicans really just can't stand Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton, um, in her um, uh, demeanor at times, doesn't do a very good job of expressing herself. I think that uh, her defenders would say that she's been under attack for 30 years, and so she's very guarded. Uh, I think even the most uh, loyal uh, defenders of Clinton would, would not hesitate to use that term, guarded. Uh, and this um, sometimes is um, an impediment to actually getting stuff accomplished. So you could see uh, no Supreme Court justices confirmed. You could see lots of cabinet nominees not approved. You could see essentially uh, a skeletal uh, administration, at least in the early months. Uh, and that's, that's, that's not, not terribly unrealistic negative uh, scenario. Well, we had alluded to this in the beginning of the conversation, but I want to circle back to it. One of the lines of thinking that I've read recently that I think does have, that does make some sense, if you will, as far as the possibility of the underdog, Donald Trump actually winning the presidency. The theory that I had read that I thought had some steam behind it and was some decent thinking is that you are going to see a historically low turnout in the African-American community. So that's one situation where Hillary would lose out on a typically Democratic voting population. What are some other scenarios? Tell us about that one. But in addition, what are some other scenarios? What are some other ways that this could play out where Trump does actually pull the upset? One of the things that Trump points to is that he is energizing uh, folks who either rarely vote or never vote. So he is arguing that he's reaching a segment of pop of the population that has not uh, uh, previously showed up at the polls. And so he's claiming to introduce a different or a, a sector of, of the voting population than uh, has been addressed in the past, especially by Republicans. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I am in awe of pollsters and how they get um, uh, results that compared to the actual election results are, have been fairly accurate, both in the primaries in the last two general election. I'm in awe because nobody, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily answer my phone if I see an 800 number or my polling operation. Um, uh, a lot of people don't even have landlines anymore. So how you get the data uh, is, is really uh, very complex. And, and I'm in awe of, of um, the polling community and aggregation, especially. So I'm a little skeptical of, of the fact that Trump will be able to mobilize significantly uh, new voters to his side, but that's a, it's a possibility, and we'll just have to see. I hear the word disgust thrown around in this election. I'm disgusted with this candidate. I'm disgusted with that candidate, and it's on both sides. Do you foresee a historically large 
turnout for this election or a historically low one or about average? I guess I come out in the middle. I mean, that's a little cowardly. I think, I think that um, some people who can't stand either Trump or Clinton uh, may decide not to vote. And that's not an unsubstantial portion of the population. No, it's not. Absolutely. Uh, so, and in the past, they might have, uh, and, and this poses an interesting question because uh, there's concern from Republicans that this group uh, includes people who have no, no problem with down-ballot candidates like Pat Toomey in, uh, in Pennsylvania and members of the House. So the concern among Republicans was that the disgusted voters would simply not vote uh, because uh, if most people seem to make their decisions based on the top of the ticket and they come in and, and that's why you see lower uh, total turnout in off-year elections. Uh, but I, th I think that there, that's balanced to some extent by uh, base voters who are pretty, pretty committed. As I said earlier in the conversation, in some ways this email uh, business has made uh, voters more committed to turning out and uh, you know, from the Democratic side because they say, oh, good Lord, we may actually lose this election. And, uh, and also another factor in, in this is that the uh, uh, Gary Johnson candidacy uh, is losing some of his luster because of some foreign policy statements that were made that, um, that uh, led uh, people on the fence to be uh, less enthusiastic about the libertarian chances. Last question of the night, and I'm going to lob it up there. I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but let's go ahead and step up to the plate. Wendell, who takes it? Is it a landslide for Clinton? Give me your prediction for the 2016 presidential election. I think Clinton wins it uh, with electoral vote uh, in 320 up. Uh, and there was talk about, uh, even higher than that, but I think that's, that's faded somewhat. Um, I, you're seeing, uh, larger gaps. You, you've got really blue states and really red states. I looked at a poll, uh, in California, which was recent where Clinton is up 20 points in California and Trump is up nine points in Texas, as opposed to the, uh, 16-point margin in Texas that uh, that uh, Romney enjoyed uh, the last time out. So I'm I'm thinking it's Clinton. I'm thinking a strong electoral college uh, majority, and I'm thinking of a national electoral margin of you know in the low to mid single digits. Um, I think that the Obama margin was something like five percentage points. So if um, she is less uh, enthusiastically supported by African-Americans, but on the other hand, she's getting some historically more reliable Republican voters, especially uh, college-educated women that, uh, that Romney had. So there's a, I think there'll be a change in the, in the makeup of the uh, electorate on both sides. So in summary, I think Hillary Clinton takes it comfortably in both the uh, Electoral College and in the popular vote. For an early indicator of what might be happening, take a look at the early voting in Nevada. 
Wendell Ballou is a NYU and Yale-educated attorney. He's been on the beat in Washington, D.C. for 40-plus years, and he is SugarBookie.com's senior political analyst. He's just weighed in on the 2016 presidential election. Wendell, always good to have you. This might be the last time stopping by before we crown a new king or queen in this case. You're welcome. Anytime. Sports books, office pools, and fantasy. No matter how you make money in this crazy world, SugarBookie.com has got you covered. I'm Anthony Carabasi, your host. As always, this has been the 2016 Race to the White House, our final coverage before you all need to show up and vote. Get out the vote, my friends. It's important. It's your constitutional duty. So I do hope you hit the polls no matter who you decide to vote for. We'll see you in four years. Good luck to both candidates, and thank you for stopping by.